with, uh, with chaos. <laughs> I like the uh, cute little laughter. No, really, how are you uh, with chaos? Do you welcome it in your life? No, no. Stop the sermon right now. Do you embrace chaos? Do you look forward to it? Do you relish it? I can imagine after the number of years we've had of absolute chaos, you're like, absolutely not. You see, I I think chaos, it exists on a spectrum of, of goodness and ungoodness, okay? If that's enough to blow your mind, let it. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get comfortable with chaos this morning. You see, chaos itself is not a bad thing, but certain terrible, terrible things certainly produce chaos. Chaos can also be the result of, of immense goodness, of, of joy, of delight. You see, we cannot put chaos in just the camp of badness. Terrible. I think there's one profession in particular that has harnessed and and celebrated the variety of chaos in a way that I really, truly admire. And that is the profession of elementary school music teachers. (laughs) You see, they have this knack for beautiful chaos. And it's not just their work with children that inspires this, this profound strength of heart and soul and, and character work it's actually their, their, their unique responsibility of blessing uh, children and their families with a very specific instrument called the recorder. <laughs> Anyone play the recorder when they were young? Yes, you had to, right? Any families received a recorder in their home recently? Yes, yes, the recorder. I think this is where the word cacophony comes from. (laughs) This instrument is one of the most chaotic instruments there ever was, especially in the hands and the mouths of young people, right? Some people say it's the drums. They're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. Uh, This chaos of the recorder, this shrieking wildness, it makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> uh, in this, the last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor Paul has tried to cheer me up with a series of recorder videos on YouTube. And I don't know what it is, but it gets me way down in the sillies. Like I just can't stop laughing. And it's especially when the recorder is off to music that you know is supposed to be good. <laughs> oh my word. It just, it just kills me. It kills me. Chaos. The chaos of a recorder and chaos in general is an indication of something remarkable. I stand by that, even with the recorder. Whether it be the wildness of children and music they create or the impact of a a hurricane or the free fall of skydiving or the effects of, of sudden loss and the grief that accompanies it, chaos is certainly a part of life And God, the author of life, is up close to chaos. And this is the scene that we see in Acts chapter 2, the story of Pentecost. You see, the word Pentecost comes from uh, the Greek word Pentecoste. That worked out for us. And that word means 50th. 
great. We have this big celebration in the church and it just means 50th. Uh, you see, and there's a reason though. Because there were 50 days between, the res- between Resurrection Sunday and the day the Spirit was offered at Pentecost. 40 days uh, with the risen Jesus on earth and then he's taken up to heaven and 10 days between that ascension period and the Spirit's gifting. But uh, uh, the celebration was not a new celebration. It wasn't like Pentecost became uh, Pentecost when the Spirit came. You see, uh, pre-resurrection, before Jesus changed the trajectory of the world, the Jewish people would gather to celebrate uh, the Festival of Weeks, it's called. And it was a harvest festival. They would gather up wheat and they would uh, celebrate this gathering, this harvesting by having a party. Uh, And that party was supposed to take place 51 days after Passover. 51 days. What happens at Pentecost is that all these things beautifully connect and shift. So these uh, God events are tied to the stories for centuries, but there is a, there's a shift. There's a change. And this is why this festival of weeks is why there are so many people in Jerusalem that specific day of Pentecost. Beyond the organization of this, what we witness in Pentecost is that God is up close to chaos, perhaps even causing chaos. As an an indication of something remarkable, beyond a human's ability to fully perceive. And so as we read the text this morning, I would like you and me to pay very close attention uh, to the wildness of what's happening here. So would you uh, open your Bibles to Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament. It comes right after the Gospels, which tell us all about Jesus. Acts is the fifth book. We're hanging out in Acts all summer long, so you might as well just have a a bookmark there so you can quickly get to it. We are in Acts chapter 2, and we will read um, in this section just verses 1 through 13, because there's a lot of verses, and you're more than welcome to keep reading while I preach. How about that? Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those, these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, uh, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phargia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had 
too much wine. <laughs> the word of the Lord? <laughs> thanks, thanks be to God. <laughs> thanks be to God. Certainly this was a chaotic scene. And people answered that chaos saying, well, they must be drunk. But see, the spirit of God that has been active throughout history is now joining the people in a very physical way. This is not gentle. This is not cute. This wasn't like, and then the spirit came. You see, the spirit's relationship with chaos is not a new thing. And so why would it be new here at Pentecost? You see, at each juncture of the Spirit's involvement throughout Scripture, we find the chaos and we find joining. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, about these scenes in the story of Scripture, creation and incarnation and then the work of bearing witness, what I would call the Spirit coming close and forming the church. And so we need to look at those movements and the Spirit's work within those movements. You see, in Genesis 1, verse 2, nearly the very beginning, uh, it says, Scripture says, now the earth was chaos. It says that the earth was formless and empty. That's chaotic. And it says that the Spirit of God hovered. Since before time, the Spirit was up close to chaos. And chaos was the precursor to creation. Let us not forget. Chaos was the situation where the Spirit of God hovered. Chaos, then, is not the antithesis of God's activity. It's actually, in Genesis, the precursor to God's activity. God actually joins God's self to creation through chaos and through words and through speech, and the result is a brand new thing. And then there's the chaos making of the incarnation. Luke 2 tells us that Mary will conceive the child of God through the mystery of the overshadowing of the Spirit. We can only suppose that the result of this divine conception, the conception of Jesus, was chaos. It certainly was chaos for Mary. It was chaos for Joseph. It was chaos for the people around them. It was chaos in bearing a child. Chaos of the unknown that never been done before. Chaos. Here too, God has joined God's people, and there is certainly chaos. And now, in the Pentecost event, when when the Spirit comes, it's total chaos. It's easy to read uh, this scripture passage um, uh, blankly and not really understand the sights and sounds of Pentecost when we're just like sitting in a sanctuary, and when one person is talking and you all are quiet... I thought about doing a, like a little activity, but I scrapped it. Uh, it it's, it's one thing to hear it that way, but, but we ha- I want you to imagine this with me. That, that all these people, a smaller group of people, are all together in one room, and from out of nowhere, sound happens. It encompasses the whole space. It's like the sound of a thousand recorders, okay? Scripture says it's just like a violent wind, but I, but I think it might have been the recorders, okay? Uh, there, had, there was such an immensity of sound that filled the whole space that, that the people were confused, bewildered. 
I wonder if you have ever experienced something like this, the, an expansive, a, a deafening sound. Have you? Maybe. A few shakes of the head. This last Tuesday, our staff took a, a retreat day. And during the morning, we spent our time at Bellevue Park downtown, in downtown Bellevue, and we had some time to just to walk and to, to rest and to have some quiet time with God. Now, Pastor Scott chose to sit in a not-so-quiet uh, space, actually a very loud space, right next to a very big, that very big um, waterfall fountain water feature that's in the middle of Bellevue Park. You know what I'm talking about. There he was sitting there. And his reflection after the time uh, of his time there was, was this all-encompassing noise that he was experiencing, that sound of a roaring waterfall, which is actually the unity of a billion small noises. He said that. I'm just using his words. You see, a single drop of water in a pond, it doesn't make a lot of noise. But a billion drops of water flowing endlessly makes quite a bit of noise. And as he was sharing this, I, I became captured by this idea that this is probably what Pentecost sounded like. The wind roaring, certainly, but even more, the sound of the multitude hearing their own language being spoken. Maybe a deafening sound. And I can surmise that it was chaos. You see, because there were people from, from every corner of the Mediterranean that had gathered in Jerusalem for this festival. There were 15 specific regions mentioned, and, and each one could have represented multiple languages or multiple dialects. And here they are, hearing God in the most familiar way, but in a new way all at the same time. You'll remember that there were 12 apostles, 12 disciples, and, and a handful more. And it's confusing how it could be that as these disciples are speaking, more than 12 are hearing their native language. It's God math. Here they are hearing God in the most familiar way. And the sound of unity can be confusing. You imagine this, not being even able to, you're hearing your own language, but you're also hearing other people's languages, and, and that, it, it feels like it doesn't make sense. Unity does not mean one language. It meant many dialects, all being spoken simultaneously, a roaring waterfall of the language of the Spirit, chaos. Language acquisition, have you ever studied it? Maybe you have. It starts before a baby is even born. You see, inside the womb, babies are able to identify the different voices in their life, and, and they're able to identify different patterns of speech. Once a baby is born, they begin the work of them mimicking language. They coo and they babble. And it may sound bewildering to us like it's absolute nonsense, but it's actually the beginning stages of a human's ability to make sense of the world through language. And this language is tied to so much of, of who we are and how we understand the world. That starts before we're even born. What's so remarkable about Pentecost is that previously the word of God only came uh, through the Hebrew language and then spoken by Jesus in Aramaic and read in Hebrew. There was, just like, there was just like one little slice. 
And people then perceived that God only spoke that language and that God could only be known by people who spoke that language or could read that language or could discern that language. But now in this chaos of noise that is Pentecost... Uh, and all the languages that were being spoken, uh, this work confirms that God is doing something remarkable. No longer will God be known by just one people or one language. No, God will be known by all people. And they will know it because they hear it in their own language, a sound that they have perceived since before their birth. It's Holy Spirit, chaos. Because it wasn't just that the disciples set out to learn each language. They had no study whatsoever. They did not uh, work to prepare the best communication strategy for the variety of people that might be around them. Uh, They didn't develop catchy or snazzy catchphrases uh, that would motivate people to respond to Jesus. No. Actually, these disciples, most of them were Galilean. And, and Galileans were known for being very hard to understand. Because they would uh, dip their vowels and they would drop the ends of their words. And so it was known that Galileans, it was really tricky to understand them. They were not proficient in their tongue. But the Spirit made it remarkably so. Verse 4 of chapter 2, all of them were first filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. And you can bet that they are perplexed themselves as, as, as much as the people listening to them. Because they're probably wondering, how is this happening from my mouth? My mouth doesn't know how to do this. How is this making sound? How is this making sense? I can imagine that these disciples, these apostles, they felt so out of control. Because it was kind of like, kind of true. Chaos makes us feel out of control. And I can tell how you feel about chaos. And now I know how you feel about control. <laughs> there, are no, there is no controlling uh, recorders in the hands of children. Hmm? They will make all the noise and all the noises. And there is no controlling the chaos of a storm or or grief or conflict or beauty or wonder or tragedy or joy or pain or sickness or healing or hope. These are chaoses. Loss of control can be delightful, but it can also contribute to fear. And it's understandable that the human response to chaos is control. But there is a time and a place for that. Certainly, absolutely, necessarily. When chaos causes harm to another, we must respond out of faithful control. But too often, when any kind of chaos ensues, we choose control, even when the chaos is beautiful. And unfortunately, centuries of Christians have operated this way. They have controlled scenarios and outcomes and strategies completely apart from the Spirit of God. 
And we have honestly seen the damages of this kind of control and the recent release of information regarding a group of churches attempts to bury abuse allegations and silence victims. We hear it in the long history of racism that silences the language and the voice of certain people. We feel it in the actions of people who say they love Jesus, but they have no desire to live a life like his, a life that requires relinquishing control to God. Pentecost was a movement of God to form something, something new, what we call the body of Christ that is the church. It is a new creation here at Pentecost. And just like the chaos of creation and the chaos of the incarnation, so the conception of the church is formed in chaos. And we must remember where we came from. Because we are afraid of chaos in the church. We're afraid. There are many kinds of chaos, remember. Some beneficial and some detrimental. And we certainly want to protect against detrimental chaos. Chaos that would harm or abuse or destroy. But I fear that we have eliminated any kind of chaos among us, especially the chaos of the uncontrollable spirit of God. And I notice it because sometimes we are slow to listen to the voices, to the language of others that don't sound like what we're used to. We're fearful of discernment and fearful of waiting for God to speak. We put words into the mouths of others instead of listening to the voice of God from them. We light our own fires. We have our own campaigns. We make lofty promises without ever wondering where and what God has ignited first. I wonder what it would be like if we were remembered where we, the church, began. In the chaos of languages and fire and sounds and conversations. And the prophet Joel, uh, he anticipated this way in the Old Testament. And then Peter, in Acts chapter 2, says it again. He articulates it again. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is where it began, friends. This is how our community, our body, our fellowship was formed. You see, the Spirit brought together the cacophony of humanity into this one unified, chaotic, beautiful thing that we call the church. Every nation belongs, every human belongs, every language and mannerism, every ability, every race, class, gender, age, status, and experience 
belongs in this cacophony of the church. And when the Spirit joins its people, it leaves no one out. It's chaos. And it's the most beautiful thing. And when God, uh, and then when the people of God, excuse me, embrace this beautiful chaos, what in the world is happening to us? 3,000 people were added to their number. Okay? It wasn't just like one. 3,000 were added to their number. It went from little chaos to a crazy chaos. Look at what forms then. 3,000 were added to their number, and then see what happens post-chaos. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. 3,000 were added to their number in verse 41. And then it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were joined together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What came out of the chaos of Pentecost were these rhythms of fellowship, teaching, fellowship, breaking bread together, prayer, meeting together, eating with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. This didn't come because the disciples set out to have a very organized plan. The Spirit of God went nuts. And then this is what happened after. There was an organization that took place that was well beyond uh, the strategy and ideas of the disciples. The Spirit created a rhythm for the people. They relished in these experiences of awe and wonder. They discovered rich commonality with one another, something that they could never fabricate or facilitate on their own. All of this is a result of the joining of the Spirit of God with them. Creation, incarnation, Pentecost. It's the same thing. I wonder, friends, where we might be invited into the chaos of the Spirit. Certainly, personally, certainly individually. But more importantly, as as the text offers us, how can we be invited into it communally? Could we relinquish our need for control, for our ideas and opinions to be met or managed, for even our dreams or visions to be relinquished, and then to embrace the rhythms that serve this collective cacophony of humanity through the Spirit of God. I think that's our work as a church. I think we're we're aiming at it. But we need even more involved. I would rather it be chaos than it be controlled. And I think the Spirit of God invites it to be chaos more than it is controlled. May you offer yourself to that beautiful chaos, and may we discover something 
of a cacophony of humanity among us as we do it. Would you pray with me? God, what a remarkable thing that you would even want to do this with us. And God, I thank you for the rhythms that guide us in the chaos of being the church. The rhythms of a meal together. The rhythms of prayer, of silence, of noise, of presence, of absence. God, as we come to this table today to receive of your good gifts that you have offered, would we be found united? Would we be found seeking out new language from you, not only for ourselves, but for the world? And may it be a gift, not just in this place, but in all the places everywhere. Amen.